Some pirates give instead of steal. On this episode of the Social Learning Lab, we dig up treasures with learning pirate Lauren Waldman. And lucky for us, she's quite generous. You'll walk away with gems of wisdom about how to join forces with your brain to create learning that sticks more quickly and for longer. So swab the PowerPoint deck and let us show you the ropes. Ahoy, lab mateys! We're super pumped to be here today with Lauren Waldman, learning scientist and founder of Learning Pirate Inc. And uh, I think if you've seen Lauren at all, you've probably heard, yar! <laughs> Lauren is one of the first learning designers in the world to merge the operational function of the brain with cognitive theories to create large-scale learning designs. She has held leadership positions and designed for organizations globally. Uh, Lauren appears regularly on conference stages, podcasts, webinars, and more, and she is a highly sought-after keynote speaker, best known for her entertaining and interactive talks, which is why we had to track her down and get her on the Social Learning Lab. And she also invites her audiences to join forces with their brains, and we're definitely going to talk about that today. But in other words, we're really super lucky to have Lauren in the lab with us today, and we can't wait to get started. So thank you for being here, Lauren. Yar. Hi, everybody. <laughs> happy New Year. Or Happy New Yar, as I like to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just on the Year ID side, because I realize I always forget to do this intro. So I'm Nicole. I'm the founder and I guess chief learning strategist, whatever my title is this week over at Your Instructional Designer. But I'm not alone from the Year ID squad today. So I don't know if, which one of you want to know uh, you're here. <laughs> Rocio over here, junior project manager. And Katie, an instructional designer. Awesome. So Lauren, I know we're big fans of your work. And one of the biggest things that we really enjoyed is the whole idea of joining forces with your brain. So can you just tell us what exactly does it mean to join forces with your brain? It means, okay, first it means that you acknowledge that you've got three pounds of what my one of my board members likes to call meatloaf that we carry around up in our heads and it runs the whole show it's our everything and to join forces with it because i don't like using the word control i think there's a lot of neurobabble and neuromarketing and like you know take this pill and you can control this and that and i'm like no no (laughs) so i like the terminology of joining forces and that really means just knowing enough about the operational system itself so that you can use it to the best of its abilities. And whether that's for work or for learning or, you know, navigating through a crowded room or recognizing when you're not paying attention and losing focus, like there's so many of these like very simple and amazing ways that we can join forces with our brains and basically interact with one another a little bit better once we just understand what's going on up there. Yes. I love all of that. And we're definitely going to unpack some of that as we go through this pod class episode today. And so you've already been out there talking about this for a while. And one of the things we've, we've gone through it, we think it's amazing, but you have this free mini course, join joining forces with your brains, aptly named, right? And we noticed that you take a few minutes to kind of have your own social learning experiences. And as your resident social learning nerds, we wanted to talk about them. So, you know, you like go on the street to talk to real people and hear about their learning experiences. And then you're pulling in your your friend, learning pirate scientist, Elliot. And so like, what made you decide to incorporate these moments in your program? So those moments those like social so I wouldn't necessarily call those social learning moments right because like just 
by the science and by the definition that would necessarily qualify and there's my nerd coming out in that answer yeah um, yeah those were like those were put in as experiments you know and yeah we did go out and we conducted those live on the streets really it was to demonstrate and allow people to experience what their brains can do when we give them the opportunity to sort of, you know, really strategically and intentionally work with it. But those moments, as well as, you know, several of the others that were embedded, you know, into the design of the series itself, you know, whether it was the fact that I was using novelty or whether I was using things to guide someone's attentional networks because I needed them to focus or, you know, inserting those practice practices where people could help to create a memory those moments were so intentionally and strategically designed in because that's how we design learning with science we use the best of what we know in order to help activate someone else's brains and to help them help them not only just engage with the learning journey itself but we're really trying on our side as the designers to help that encoding process to create a transferable memory because what is learning without memory Yes. So this might be a good time to ask, like, what, if anything, does cognitive science teach us about learning? Like, what what should we be taking away from the science and the evidence that exists? A lot. (laughs) You know, when we look at from sort of the methodology and the old, the, you know, one of the oldest theories, right? So when we look at the theory of social cognitive theory, and that's going back a long time, and what we learn is if we sort of merge it with what we know about neuroscience, we can kind of collaborate. So when we look at social learning theory, it's really about how do we learn with one another, but how are we observing? How am I observing how you're reacting, how you're behaving, how how you're modeling, right? Like that's the emphasis when it comes to sort of the theory itself. But when we look into the brain and we look into the neuroscience, we've got, you know, billions of these wonderful cells called neurons in our heads and some of them can do something called mirroring and that's kind of where the two come together right so mirror neurons basically they've got like mechanisms that that kind of can explain a little bit behind social learning theory and that was really you know how when we look at someone is are those particular neurons activated when someone is performing something or when they're observing somebody else do it so there's a lot that we can say you know i think social learning when people think about it they're like oh that just means we get together in groups and we have group chats (laughs) and yes that's true but when you really dig deep into the theory itself you understand that it's less about me just going and having a chat with everybody it's me observing and it's me participating very actively and intentionally in that act people always ask us what does social learning mean and i'm like well it's really broad like we use it in a specific way to talk about what we do here but it is what you're saying. It's the observation. It's learning from and with one another. You know, it is broad. But we don't have to stick to social. I mean, I'll try to keep us on social learning because that's what the pod class is about. But I don't know if there's anything else that you sort of feel is just essential when it comes to the learning science that maybe isn't captured if we just talk about social learning that you want to share. Oof. You know, when we go into learning sciences, there's so much, right? And you're looking at it from theory and methodology, which is one side of the coin, but where my sort of, you know, expert, and I don't want to call myself an expert. I'm never, no one's ever going to be an expert in the brain, but I will say my my specializations, which is understanding brain function, understanding, you know, what is this thing that we carry around with us that's allowing you 
all to nod your heads right now and to, yeah, smile, emotional reactivity, just knew that was going to (laughs) happen. And just knowing those little things, right, is what is, you know, the operational manual of these things and how do we work a little bit better with it so that we can learn more strategic, more intentionally, so we can design better. And that's really, you don't have to know too much. You don't have to be a neuroscientist in order to scratch the surface of some of these things. So if we can understand things like, you know, if you're sitting there and you're trying to learn or you're trying to work and you're getting to that point of frustration or a fatigue, are you really in the best brain state to be learning? No. Your chemistry is doing things up there that you can't see. The whole system is doing stuff that you can't see, but you can tangibly feel it. And then we can make decisions about that. So when it comes to any type of undertaking, whether it be, you know, you're working on a project, you're really hunkering down to do some learning, just understanding a little bit more about the process of what your brain is doing changes everything. (laughs) Because like I said, then you can join forces with it. Then you can work with the operational system as opposed to against it, which quite often we we usually all are. So... It's, it's interesting because, you know, we're, we're thinking about all of these things and you're right, we, we do get away often from best practices, but rather than harping on the negative, I would love to hear about maybe one of the most impactful experiences that you've either had or maybe you were the person who facilitated or designed, you know, what would that most impactful learning experience be for you? So my, my personal one like my personal like learning experience that was like the most impactful was when I first started studying the brain and really was humbled and humiliated at the same time by how little I knew a about the thing that makes me me but then how little I knew about learning itself as someone who had been a teacher as someone who had been in learning development industry for as long as I had it was mildly embarrassing to be honest and it was that experience that sort of sparked me to leave the company that I was working with at the time start learning pirate and you know really forge this new path because when you understand like I did and it was painful it was not a fun experience like it was almost like going back to you know starting back in kindergarten and not being able to pronounce words they were very scientific I had no idea how to pronounce them and just really being reduced to a very humble student again. And then recognizing, I have no idea how to learn properly because I think if I did, this wouldn't be so hard. Now, learning is hard. It's meant to be hard. We're changing our brains when we're doing it. But the way that we go about it can be a lot easier. And that's what I learned through my own experience and my own journey into into the neuroscience and and then you know becoming the translator and the practitioner and, and all of these things. But then the most impactful, there's been so many learning designs and so many great companies and so many amazing human beings. But I think the one that brought me to tears was during, it was just at the end, just kind of towards the end of the pandemic. And I was here in Toronto and a a company had reached out to me. They were a nonprofit company and they were for newcomers coming into to the city. And this was just around the time that the Ukraine war had broken out. And we had a lot of people coming in, you know, we took in a lot of immigrants, but this newcomer center was really struggling because they had 400 employees being managed by 50 managers. Everyone was being trauma dumped on and everyone was being traumatized in one way, shape or form. 
And so where I was originally called in to design for, for something else, when we realized what was happening and the managers really needed support in order to support their, you know, hundreds of people, we switched gears and myself and my other board member, Dr. Chris Lee, we created a program called How to Human. And the How to Human program taught people the fundamentals of the brain, but we really looked at it from what's emotional regulation and how do you monitor that and how do you like help yourself when you're really going downhill. And then we looked at the cognitive side of things so that you can think and you can work and you can like do the best that you can. And then we looked at the behavioral side. I couldn't imagine the impact that that program would have had on these 50 managers who every two weeks showed up not one dropped off of the program and they were implementing everything that we were teaching them like week after week and probably the the moment that brought me to tears I will never forget this is I had to go out to Calgary Alberta to deliver a keynote and it was the last session that we had with these these 50 managers they were so fantastic and I let them know like hey guys like I have to I've got to drive back into the city so I got to jump off early and when the time came for me to jump off the the zoom call and I said goodbye to everybody. Every single one of them turned on the videos of their cameras and just like thankful and humbled and just told me how much they, and I just started bawling. <laughs> Freshly makeup done. <laughs> and I was just like, that's when I realized the, the profound impact that we can have and, and what we can do to support and, you know, everything when we just understand the operational system and, to this, to this day, it's probably one of the most profound and impactful learning designs I've ever done. That sounds amazing. And also just such a, you know, we get caught up on metrics and not that they're not important, but like the human impact that's immediately obvious there is just so amazing to hear about. And I can tell everybody that like in, this is, this is like the, the neuroscience in me, is as I'm recalling this story to you, I can feel my heart rate started to accelerate and that my body has started to go into a different place because it's tangibly associating those memories with that feeling. And it's like, I'm just really, it's, it's, this is how a nerd (laughs) relives her experiences by like recalling, I can literally feel what my brain is doing in order to help me bring forward those memories to tell you that story. And that's, I'm secondhand nerding because I'm, I'm getting goosebumps. (laughs) That's joining forces with your brain right there. I feel like when I was hearing you talk, it recalled some of the stuff we were talking about last season with Lyle, who he owns a, a clinical practice and a employee, you know, assistance program, workplace well-being, arm to the business. And so emotional regulation came up. And I know Rocio, like I started thinking about you because it was a really influential and I guess in, point of interest for you when we were talking about it. So I don't know that I'm just, I guess, wondering if you know, what Lauren's saying is resonating with the two of you inside my monopoly. <laughs> I'm just listening. I feel like every time we have one of these episodes where we're talking about like psychological safety, we're talking about the brain. And I just go into this, like, and start like analyzing my life and, and Lauren is talking and I'm like thinking about moments where I've had those feelings of like, you relive something and your, your body has the same reaction or starts to feel that same reaction that you felt at that moment where it actually happened so that has happened to me a couple of times and how amazing that like you know you know all these things and you're so so self-aware of your brain and your body and you can like pinpoint right like this is happening because this is happening and how you said like 
oh, there you go. You're nodding. And now I knew you were going to smile because that's the reaction. So like, I can imagine you, like every time you talk to somebody, you're, you're already like thinking about like this reactions and why they're happening. Like at the same time, that's amazing. It's a, it's a superpower in, yeah. in, in, in itself. And I could tell you from the, when I, when I started learning all of this and then I started building my board and you know, the science, the scientists and the scientific community, community, excuse me, they, they really just welcomed me and they really embraced me into it. And I just remember with every, you know, neuropsychologist that I met with every new neuroscientist that I met. And I remember asking them like, how do you do it? How do you walk around knowing even like, you know, so much more than I do. Like <laughs> I'm so much more aware. We're, and now that I'm at the level that I'm at, you know, we have these conversations with my colleagues and it's crazy because we are a little, that little bit more aware. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun too, because I think as you saw, some of you who've seen the series, we get to mess around with people too. So <laughs> All for the sake of learning, but yeah, it, it is pretty amazing what you can do when you actually understand what's, what's going on up there. Yeah. I think it, it also makes you more understanding of other people's oh, and yes. how they react to things and oh, yeah. kind of makes you take, when you're that self-aware of how things work, makes you take a step back and understand people's reactions to things a little better and with more understanding and less, take it less personal, I guess, I would yeah. think. I'll share a story if you'll, if you'll mm-hmm. permit me to. Absolutely. I, I work in an office here downtown Toronto and I remember just taking a break one day to go grab a coffee and walking into the coffee shop and there was a man in the shop who was quite agitated and start raising his voice and he was a larger man so people were getting a little bit a little bit scared and he was obviously you know he didn't have a home and you know we we do like many many places in the world we are we are suffering a, another pandemic which is a mental health pandemic globally and the people who were behind the counter, they they were not handling that situation very well at all. And in those moments, even I have to stop and sort of assess and, and be like, is this okay for me to approach? Like, I, I will, how are you speaking? What's the tone of your voice? Where are your body movements going? Just to see, can I intervene and, and sort of help in any way? And I felt that I could. And this man was asking for a sandwich. He just wanted, he wanted a sandwich. And so I stopped and I said, hey, I'm like, you're hungry, huh? He's like, yeah. I'm like, how's work been lately? And he stopped and this, he must've been about six, five and I'm all of five, three, like I'm a tiny little human. And he just looked down at me and the whole, his whole body shifted and the look in his eyes from someone who had just spoken to him, like he was just your normal everyday human. And the situation was diffused. We got him a sandwich and we got him out of there. But it was everybody else's reactions. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame anybody for that. Like humans, we are some of the most unpredictable things on the planet. But if, like you said, Rocio, like if we can understand this a little bit more, then maybe you can be a little bit more empathetic. And maybe you will know how to communicate with people a little bit better. And those are things even for myself that I've learned so much more about how I was communicating and what how what was my emotional triggers and you know when when were my feelings going off the rails and you know when was I being passive aggressive any of any of those number of things those human things that happen with us but you know it's quite quite phenomenal what happens when you understand that what's governing us on a moment to moment a second to second basis is chemical reactions and electrical signals yeah for sure I think that 
it's really hard because sometimes you know it's a lot, we take a lot of the stuff personal or like as, a, as an attack or you know and that goes back to things that we have gone through that people touch on and it like activates something in us but like the only thing we can control is like our actions and our reactions what somebody else does is totally you know up to them so i'm very conscious of that that like how you react doesn't necessarily you know say anything about me or say anything about us and i think in that moment everybody was just reacting to him being agitated right and everybody was upset because oh you know like you're not the only one here and why are you making but that was not the issue the issue was what was going on you know that you were able to recognize there was something beyond just asking for a sandwich because he really wanted a sandwich right and I mean, take that into the boardroom. You know, we've all been, we've all sat in meetings yes. where someone's getting a little bit heated or they're getting a little mm-hmm. bit upset or agitated, right? And we have no idea if that person had a horrible morning, you know, and that's been triggered or someone said something in there that had triggered something, you know, acute, you know, cues and triggers when it comes to behavioral science. Those are real mm-hmm. things, you know, and it takes only one cue to, yep. to then, you know, provide a behavioral action that's associated with that person. But you know, it's, it's also, yeah, like you said, is how do, how do we respond to that? How do we respond? That's, and that's the power of joining mm-hmm. forces with your brain, right? Is how, if I understand, and from a, a colleague of mine, Dr. Kate Truitt, who is just a phenomenal neuroscientist and psychologist who studies mostly on the amygdala and emotion, emotion and trauma, who is the one in her work taught me is that if we understand that the emotional processing centers of our brain, these two tiny little tiny pieces called the amygdala are acting four times faster, four times faster than our executive function. Well, what does that tell us? We know who's, who, we know who's running the show right away, but we also know that we can take very slow, intentional, calming breaths to, to tell the central nervous system, to tell the amygdala like, yo, it's cool, we, we're good. <laughs> Like we need our brain now. I need, like, I need my executive function right now to deal with this. And like you like going off the rails in the background is not helping. So it's all of those little things that we can learn and that we can teach that, that make everything so much better. And then obviously, you know, we can learn to design with these things. Yeah. Like, yeah. How many times have we, how many times have we acted in the moment? And then like 10 minutes later, we're like, yeah, no, that was not that big of a deal. Like that reaction was not the required reaction for the very small problem that I was dealing with. I'm curious because earlier we were saying like just getting a group of people together, right, doesn't ultimately necessarily result in a learning experience, even though that may be, you know, as learning designers, our intention when we're, you know, creating these learning experiences. So I'm curious from your perspective, joining forces with your brain, like what would need to be in place for a really effective social learning experience. So we get people together, but what else needs to be happening? We, you know, cause you mentioned psychological safety, right? Like you have to feel safe in the group. What else would you say would be a good ingredient? You know, it's really, and I get so many of these questions. So my, my specialty is in scientific learning design. That's where I've taken, you know, my science, my science background and my learning background and as an L and D and you know, all my L and D's who are listening right now, I'm, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. I was a CLO, I was an instructional designer. Like I've done it all, right? So for me, what it really does come down to is you have to be so intentional about what you're doing in the design and why. And if it's like, I'm going to put everybody into this group right now so that they can discuss. Okay, but why am I doing that? 
Is it because I need a break as the facilitator? <laughs> you know? uh, come on, and you're all laughing, so I know you all done it before. I've done it too. Never, never. <laughs> never. I just stuck everybody in a Zoom room so I could take a breather. <laughs> like, but it's, it is really, it comes down to those things. So if I want to design something that's really going to elevate a social learning moment, I'm either going to make it, you know, observable, which is, I'm, again, using someone's attention to focus them on one particular thing. So am I asking you to observe and model a certain behavior? Am I asking you to, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of role play, um, but it is very effective in, some cer- in, in certain situations. But a lot of adults are not comfortable with role play because you're asking them to tap in to imagination. And a lot of us just don't do that very often as adults. And sometimes as kids, we didn't do it either. You know, everyone probably has, I can, I can say this to everyone who's listening right now. I'm certain that the majority of us had an experience in school where we had, where the teacher said, okay, now you're going to pair up and you're going to pretend and you're going to role play and you're going to pretend to do this. And your whole body just went, oh no. And is everyone else watching me and who's listening? And I, and we carry that over. We carry that over, you know, to our adult our adult experience as well. But if you're going to do something that's social, design it intentionally. Don't just put it in as an activity. Understand why you're doing it. What is the actual transferable skill, knowledge, or behavior that it is supporting in the act of putting in that social moment? Yeah, I think every, so we have recorded a, a couple of, pre-recorded a couple of episodes for this season and every episode the word this being intentional about the social learning moments that we put into the design has been like has come up every everybody that we have talked to has talked about intentionality and why are we doing it i know we're not, i don't know, know. Everybody t- if everybody's saying it and we talk about it but it's not happening in the design out in the wild when people are designing because they don't know how yeah, this is this is the thing. This is the whole this is the whole reason why I created Joining Forces with your brain. The series is if my if I could wave my white flag as someone who was a, a teacher, an international teacher who then became a teacher trainer, who then worked my way up through learning and development in the industry up to a CLO. And at that point is when I realized that I didn't know how to do these things properly. We're going 15 years that's why we just have to admit that we're not doing it wrong we just can be doing it better now so we have to be open to it isn't that crazy we're telling learning we're telling yeah. learning and development and learning people that you need to learn and they're going no we're good <laughs> <laughs> we know what we're doing <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, but do, do you you know <laughs> you know because there's been so many instances where people are saying, hey, Lauren, can you, can you take a look at this little module that we, we wrote? Or can you just take, and I said, are you prepared for me to tear it apart? I'm like, I'm sure your content is there, but as far as learning efficacy, nah, most of them aren't. And don't even get me started on AI content development now. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Kiwi, I saw you just hit the Oh, mic, yeah. So. I, well, I was curious because one challenge that we often think about is like, okay, maybe it's like a new, you know, group that we're trying to form, you know, a social, social learning digital cohort, and we want it to really take off, but it's like we've talked before and it's on the blog as well that Nicole has written about like the feeling of going first and like kind of 
when you don't have a model for how to behave in this particular, I'm thinking of specifically online communities, um, mm -hmm. but it could be more broad. So I'm wondering if like you could speak to what's going on in the brain in that process and um, how we might design the beginnings of something as social, a new social learning group better so that people feel more comfortable joining. You know, it's interesting because when we look into behaviors and experiences and what's made up, uh, you know, what's, what's called the schema, which is, you should know this, it was in the series. How is someone coming into that? What is their former behaviors? What are their former attitudes, you know, and, and their habits in those, in those situations? Now, then we've got, there's, there's those things that we can sort of like understand a few of the variables, but then there's the other things. Because well, I don't know you, I don't know what's in your brain as far as previous memories. I don't know what might make you happy or sad or, you know, really like curious or whatnot. And that's something that we can, we all sort of need to, to explore together. And I think when we come together on a level playing field and we can choose, the, choose something, you know, if everyone's coming together to learn, well, guess what? You've just found the common, the common bond. Unless there's people in there who have been told that they have to, in which case you really want to identify those people quickly. <laughs> it's like my boss made me be here. I'm like, oh, okay, let's, let's work through that. <laughs> you know? So, and there's going to be some of that as well. But a lot of the time these days, you know, when people are coming together, you know, we did a cohort, the first cohort program of a scientific learning design with the offbeat community. And I mean, that's a perfect example. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. They didn't know each other. They were from different, like so many parts of the globe were represented in that and the commonality was we're curious and we came here to learn it's like you read my mind because i was actually just about to ask you about how that's going so how is it going the cohort. are you gonna do more of it yeah so the oh it was it was wildly amazing it was great it was so cool like first of all we had like participants from literally like they they we covered so many parts of the globe which was so cool for me different industries you know, different approaches are coming and, and wanting to to learn about these things for, for different reasons, which is just so awesome for me because I'm just a curious, curious little monkey. And it was amazing. You know, I think for me to be able to transfer my skill and knowledge to other, you know, there were coaches, there were instructional designers, there were L&D managers, you know, we had a little sprinkling of everything. I think that's what it's really all about, right, is if we're going to change the way that things are done we need to teach the change so it was such a a fulfilling a fulfilling thing i think the coolest thing about that for me was you know as it was the first first of its kind you know i do a lot of internal workshops for, for lnd teams and in, in big organizations but a lot of them it's you know maybe two three sessions at most and this went on for six weeks so we had a lot more time to and i can tell you it, we got to the, the sixth session, the last session, and I was like, how is this over? We have to keep going. Like, there's so much more. And, and we all felt the same way. There's just like so much more. But I think, you know, when when you start the journey about learning, you know, it's they came in wanting to know, how do I design learning better using science and understanding my brain? And then similar to what happens happened to me in my journey it happened to them which was you start to realize you've come into this for a professional reason but it's going to start to change you profoundly as the human being that you are you're going to walk out every session and you're going to see things differently you're going to experience people differently you're going to be more observant of what you're doing differently and that to me was like 
watching other people go through what I had gone through like, you know, eight years ago, almost a decade now, was really, really cool. And yeah, I can't wait to to sort of follow up with them and see how things are going. And yes, I have agreed to do another cohort with the offbeat. And that's gonna be starting at the end of February. And I think it's up for the I think they've announced it. So yeah, registration's open for that. That's awesome. By the time we launch this episode, I forget the exact date, but I think that'll be pretty close. So if you're listening (laughs) and you're interested, like what time is better than now? (laughs) I love that. Before we kind of ask our closing stuff, I would just ask, you know, you've designed so much. You've seen this industry from all these different angles. You've gotten to know the brains. Is there one or maybe more actionable strategy that you just think this should be applied way more frequently in the work we do in learning and development, like something specific that we can all take back with us today and start doing right now. You know, I always, the, I've been using this analogy for like a really long time, but I feel like it's, it, it's, it holds true, which is any, most of the stuff that I look at, it's, there's a fire hose worth of content coming at the at the people on the other side it's just too much right and it's not again i hate to say these two words again but strategy and intention (laughs) they go a long way so what i encourage you know my designers to do and i understand i'm going to caveat this with i understand that you've got your stakeholders on the other side going no but we want this there and we want this there we want this there i get it but what you can do is picture a game of jenga and each one of those blocks represents a piece of the content. Start removing blocks. If your tower stays stable, you're okay. When it starts to get wobbly, you might have to add some of the content back in. But keep removing until you, until you wobble <laughs> and get to the good stuff. I love that visual so much. This <laughs> is the second time Jenga has come up in one of these episodes. Oh, so no I way. feel like we need to have a virtual Jenga session. I don't even know where we find one, but I'm just saying it could be fun. But it makes perfect sense. And I think it is learning design 101 and somehow it escapes us because I guess because it's stakeholder pressures, fire hose for us, right? Sometimes we're getting the information too fast to sit and make sense of it before we have to deliver or whatever it is. But I love that. I think that's really just a wonderful way to think about it. You know, how many blocks can I pull? Yeah. But it's also... I think part of the reason why I'm I'm advocating and, you know, really sort of leading this battle of, of change in the industry and change to the learning is because if you don't know the reason why, when you go to have that conversation with the stakeholder, it's just going to fall short, right? You need to be able to explain that the human brain cannot, cannot process and take in that much at this time in this way. So if you, you know, when I speak to them, I said, if you want to triple your budget so that we can repeat this for the next three years, then absolutely I will do exactly what you want me to do. And your people are not going to learn effectively and will not be able to transfer this and we'll have to repeat it over and over and over again. So if you want to triple your budget, that's great. But if you want to actually invest in upskilling humans on how to be human, (laughs) So that you don't have to do that and so they can learn and, and work and be just amazing people. Okay, well, let's explore the brain. Let's join forces with it a little bit. Yeah, I think we need to stop seeing training as a checkbox to meet some kind of, you know, compliance or whatever it is that 
oh, we just need a training here. This is going to solve it. See you next year in the same training with the same information. And we can check that box again next year. And then you're just wasting money. I'm in money, right? It's I'm in money. Every, everybody yeah. wants to, to save. And it's what's, you know, from the business side of things, what, what I find almost comical is that we'll prove the ROI on this. I'm like, well, how much have you spent on, on repeating, you know, learning? I'm like, okay. Like, oh, and then the best one is, well, we don't have any budget. I'm like, mm, but you had budget when LMSs became popular back in the day. And you had budget when micro learning became the, the next trend. And then you had budget when VR was like all of a sudden like really popular. And now you've got budget for AI. So you, you do. But are you using that budget strategically, intentionally to help the humans, mm -hmm. the humans fundamentally learn how to learn better? Because mm -hmm. if you're not investing in that, you might as well just be giving the money away. We're all nodding. It's just like a, a moment of silence for all the learning that has been built only to go off and die because it was really bad. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll just pour one on the sidewalk for that. <laughs> I feel like that's the perfect place to land this conversation because if, if you if you didn't listen to the rest of the episode, which you probably did to get here, and Lauren's fascinating, so I'm sure you did, but like that that to me is it, right? Like strategy, intention, and I think a little bit of sales, like being willing to be an educator and fight the good fight, and not just be like, yeah, sure, we'll we'll do what you want without pushing back a little. Would, yeah. would you say that's the big three we can do like today? Absolutely. Absolutely. The only way that we're going to change is not through talking anymore, but we got to actually take action. And if that means that you go ahead and you do the design that you think is the right design, do it. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. That's the pirate way. <laughs> That's it. That's and, it. Just That's like that, and just like that, Lauren never worked again. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think we're, we're full agreement with you here. It's a little bit of subversion, right? Like you have give them enough to be like, yes, we listen, but actually, and then they're like, wow, this is better than we thought, or we could imagine. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you let us do what we need to do, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, Lauren, this conversation has been amazing. And I know that, you know, if six weeks of a cohort wasn't enough that, you know, a little more than a half hour is definitely not going to be enough for everyone to learn all the wonderful things that they could be learning from you. So if people want to continue learning about you and your work, where can they find you? Well, first of all, you can go to the Learning Pirate website, and that's where, where you can discover what's going on with me. You can meet some of the board members who are up there. If you want to dive into your brain a little bit and learning and just the antics and the craziness that I get up to when I film the series, <laughs> Joining Forces with Your Brain, the first the five chapters that we still have up for free are on YouTube, and they're also up on the website. And then we've got the second release happened this past spring. And then whether or not there's, you know, I want to continue designing. I definitely want to continue the series. I have so much fun doing it. It's very hard, but yeah, you want, that's the sort of the end of the, the last chapter of the last of the series release was I'm only doing it if you guys want it. So give me a yar if you do. <gasps> do we, can we yar? Oh, everyone can yar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have no shame clearly. Well, thank you again, Lauren. If you know, if you want to listen to this episode and just pin it a hundred times, listen to it over and over again, put it on the background while you're doing all your work, because I, I couldn't agree more that, you know, understanding how we learn and helping people learn how to learn. These are really essential pieces of what we do. And so thank you, Lauren. Thank I like, you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for, you know, 
providing providing us lonely scientists an audience to to you know tickle their brains with thank you it's been a pleasure well we will see you all next time that was quite an adventure lab mates we're ready to set sail for better learning with these key strategies from lauren waldman learning pirate first follow the science anchor designed to the insights on learning that come out of neuroscience and cognitive science second Create learning experiences that resonate emotionally and intellectually. It's about charting a course that's both thrilling and enlightening. Third, streamline learning. Keep the cargo light so you don't slow down the ship. I mean, the learning. Finally, be intentional about the choices you make in learning design. Help your audience find their treasure with a clear map. Now, it's time to set sail and join forces with your brain. For your experiment this week, you'll learn more about the brain, memory, and learning with some connection-building activities. You can check out the full experiment brief in the show notes or the Social Learning Lab community on Facebook. In the community, you can also share your results to get feedback and insights from peers. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review, like, subscribe, or share so we can continue to build a supportive group of social learning enthusiasts. Until next time, keep making learning that matters.